Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode. God bless you today, and thank you for joining in. Today, we are going to make a teeny bit of progress in Romans chapter 8, but I believe that it will be a blessing to you when you see the beautiful artwork that God is doing in your life and in mine and from this particular verse. So in Romans chapter 8, we are going to focus today on a very familiar verse for many Christians and often quoted verse. I want to look at verse 28 of Romans chapter 8. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So I want to talk about that in depth today, and then we're going to connect that verse also with the following verses that we will look at in the next episode as well. Remember the context in Romans chapter 8 that this verse comes in. The overall context is about how the Holy Spirit is the one that works in the life of the believer to help us, now that we are saved and born again, to live the Christian life that we read about in Romans chapter 6, for instance. And we know from Romans chapter 7 we can't do on our own. So we needed the power to do that. And God gives us Romans chapter 8 and the teaching and understanding of the Holy Spirit in that. And so we've looked at many verses, many different episodes. We've looked at all of this that Romans chapter 8 has taught us so far. And so today I want us to see that in the context of this particular verse, in a sense it's sandwiched between what we talked about yesterday reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, about how prayer is a team effort and how the Holy Spirit is the one that is leading and interceding for us, leads us in how to pray, prays with us, cooperates with us. We cooperate with him and partner with him in praying the will of God. And when we don't know how to pray the will of God, the Holy Spirit does. So we saw how the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, are also interceding on our behalf. So this is the sandwich that it's in between, is those verses and then the verses that follow, verse, 20, verse 29 through 30. And we're going to look at verses 28 through 30 tomorrow in the next episode I intended to do it today, but there's just too much richness in verse 28 that I believe the Lord wants us to focus on today. So I want to devote quality attention to verse 28, and I pray this will be a tremendous blessing to you. So in the context, Paul has written verse 28 in between these two concepts, in between verse 26 through 27 and verse 29 through 30. And in this, he is giving us faith, comfort, and assurance 
to tie the two sections together and to give us an explanation of verse 29 and 30. Now, I'm going to begin to explain what I mean by that in this episode, and we will also pick it back up in the next episode. But Paul has just explained to us how we, first of all, yearn for the resurrection of our body, that coming day when we will be with the Lord. But he also tells us that in the meantime, as we wait, we have weaknesses, even in our understanding and in our will. So one way that the Holy Spirit helps us is in prayer. He's talked about that in these earlier verses, and we discussed it in detail in the last episode. The Holy Spirit helps us. He strives with us. It's a cooperation. We work together with him. And so we saw how in prayer, the Holy Spirit prays for us, even sometimes with groanings that are unspeakable, but always in accordance with God's will, even when God's will is not what we expect or think. So now, a logical flow from that is to explain and to understand that even when God's perfect will doesn't turn out the way we want or we would like, God is still weaving a beautiful tapestry in our lives. He says, we know that all things, and all things means all things, nothing lacking, nothing wasted. All things work together. They are partnering. There is a partnering. There is a cooperation. There is a coming together of all of those things for our good for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. That's to those who are born again of the spirit of the living God, those who've received his invitation and accepted him. So the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, always in accordance with God's will, but God's will doesn't always turn out the way we want it to. Or there could be things that God has allowed in our lives that we don't understand that are weaving part of our tapestry. And there may be things that the evil one, the devil, has thrown at us that we've had to endure, but God is still going to be able to take even those things that happened to us and weave them into a beautiful tapestry. Everything in our lives and in our experiences, there's not one of those things that is wasted with God. He will weave a beautiful tapestry. I thought of this in terms of tapestry weaving or quilt making or something of that sort. Let me give you these examples of both of those. First of all, to weave a tapestry, they're taking threads in other words, it's like God takes threads of each and every experience or part of us and weaves them together into a beautiful piece of art. I'm going to talk about that more in a little bit. 
Making of a quilt, for instance, similar situation. You're taking remnants of cloth, the, the unused pieces, maybe unwanted pieces, thrown away pieces, remnants of cloth. And from those, you weave together and form a beautiful quilt. I had an aunt that years ago made quilts all the time. That's, that's part of what she did. She would give them to her family. She gave me special quilts and gave every one of my children quilts. And, and even one of my grandchildren or two have gotten quilts before she died. She made quilts and she would take those remnant pieces. And so we keep those. Those were special treasures that she had hand woven to make them as gifts for us. So God is like that. He'll take the remnants, the pieces that are thrown away, the pieces that are all shattered and broken apart, the pieces that are maybe unused or unwanted, and he'll put them together in a beautiful quilt or in a beautiful tapestry. Even if your life is shattered or broken up, he is the one who makes all things beautiful as only he can do. I want to give you a few examples, and then I want to talk about tapestry making for just a moment. First of all, I want to look at the example of Moses. And we're not going to read a, a bunch of scripture, but I do want to read a few passages on some of these. Let's look at Moses, for instance. Moses was called to be a deliverer. And you can read about his story in the book of Exodus, and actually Exodus through Deuteronomy tells the details of the historical accounts that involve Moses. And then you can read more about him in Joshua and in some of the Psalms, etc. But Moses was called to be a deliverer. So, you know, he had been raised in Egypt, but he had been nursed by his real mother who loved and feared the Lord. That's the whole reason why she never allowed him to be killed. She preserved him and and willingly entrusted him to God's care when she sent him in the little basket so that he would be found. She had no idea who might find him and what might happen to him. But as far as she knew, that was at least better, and God may have even led her to do that. Obviously, God directs everything, and God directed that the daughter, the Pharaoh's daughter would be the one that would find him and would have compassion and care for him. And then God, through a series of events, allowed Jochebed to be able to be the one who actually nursed, nursed Moses until he got of weaning age. And during that time, she was able to feed into him the word of God and the things of God. And I believe that that gave him a solid foundation. And when she sent him back to Egypt, Somehow God had planted that in his heart and he never forgot it. So Moses gets to be 40 years old and he sees an Egyptian. He recognizes that this Egyptian has killed one of his people. He has identified now with his people. God is doing that work in his heart. And so he goes out and he sees and he gets angry and he kills this Egyptian. Maybe if Moses realized from Jacobed that he had a special calling, maybe he thought this was his time to, to do it. Maybe he just took matters in his own hands. I don't know. But he kills this Egyptian. 
And so he gets found out. He's afraid of Pharaoh, so he flees into Midian. Because it wasn't God's will and it wasn't God's timing, nor was it God's way for him to rise when he killed the Egyptian. So he flees to Midian and he becomes a shepherd there. He, he is found and taken in by Jethro and his family, marries one of Jethro's daughters and becomes a shepherd there. And so 40 years later, after he's been shepherding smelly sheep, God gives him the call specifically about delivering his people and Moses becomes the deliverer and then shepherds the people of Israel through the wilderness. I want to read just a few verses in Psalm 78, verse 52 and 53 here. And it says this in verse 52. He's talking about the deliverance of the children of Israel. And he says, But he, meaning God, made his own people go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely so that they did not fear, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. Now here, God, of course, gets all the credit. God is the one that has delivered them. God is the one who is leading them. God is the one who is the ultimate shepherd over them. However, God used Moses in that way to be the human shepherd that led his people through the wilderness. And we see Moses fulfilled that call. So God was able then to take imperfect Moses with all of his faults from earlier and still train him and weave all of those things together in his life and make a beautiful tapestry. And Moses is very well known and highly renowned in both the Jewish and the Christian faith. He was a man of God. Then we look at David. David was anointed by Samuel, and it's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 16, to be king. And yet, he's 17 years old. He was a shepherd in Bethlehem. He didn't even get invited to this meeting with Samuel when Samuel was first coming to Jesse. I mean, they didn't think anything about him. He was like a remnant. He was like a, a thrown-out piece. He was a nobody. He's just a young kid keeping the sheep in the field, 17 years old, watching the sheep in Bethlehem's fields. And yet Samuel goes through all the line of the other seven, and Samuel says, have you got any more? I know God told me to come here, but there ain't none of these that God said is the one. And Jesse says, well, there's one, old, one other one. He's the young guy, the runt out in the fields. And Samuel says, go get him. I'm not going anywhere. We're not going to stop this. We're not going to sit down anywhere until he comes. And so they went and brought him. And God said, that's the one. That's the one I've chosen. Praise be to God, because God looks at the heart. And God saw that while David was in the field shepherding all those sheep, his heart was for God. He was writing maybe some of the lyrics of some of the songs that are recorded in the book of Psalms for us. And he was experiencing awesome time of worship and his heart was being developed while he thought he was doing a menial task, just watching his daddy's sheep. And yet the whole time 
He was being trained by God for the exact job he was going to have. So, you know, a little while later, he comes in, he goes to check on his brothers. This big old giant's in the field down there in the valley, and he's, you know, chanting all of these defiances and all of these blasphemes against the God of Israel. And it stirred David so bad, he was like, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't listening. I ain't listening to that. I'm not standing for that. If you guys are not doing anything, I'm going to. And so he said, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. God will give me the victory and I'll fight him. So he goes and he fights Goliath. Well, you know how the story goes. He, God gives him the victory. And then these, you know, ladies in the street begin to chant all these things. Well, Saul gets all jealous. And so then David has to spend the next, you know, 12, 13 years hiding out, fleeing for his life. But during those 13 years, even though he was hated and on the run, he still learned many things. God had him in training, even in that time. He had to learn war. He learned the skills of war because he was going to have to defeat many enemies. He learned about war. He learned about fighting. He learned about trusting God for everything. He learned even about how to lead people because the Lord brought to him disgruntled a bunch of misfits, basically 600 of them. And David became like a shepherd, so to speak, to them. And then at age 30, God raises him up. And guess what he begins to do? He is raised up as king, but according to scripture, he shepherds the people of God. I want to read you now in Psalm chapter 78, verse 67 through 72. Moreover, he, meaning God, rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Sion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth, which he has established forever. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he, meaning David, shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. There was no waste. God used everything that David had been through up to that point and wove it together to make David probably one of Israel's greatest kings, along with Solomon, his son. Then we have Joseph. You read about the story of Joseph in Egypt in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. He had these dreams that God gave him at age 17, but he kind of gets maybe antsy, maybe proud. Maybe he just jumps the gun and is impatient, but he He kind of gets the wrong timing. And so he tells all his brothers about this and maybe he expects it to be an immediate thing. Sometimes when God reveals things to us, we tend to want to think that it's it's kind of coming now. And sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes it's way down the road. So anyway, age 17, he has these dreams. His brothers get all mad at him. They throw him in a pit. They throw him in a pit. And then 
you know, they sell him to these uh, Ishmaelites and he ends up in Egypt, all alone in Egypt. This is a powerful thing that I think even for the remnant church today, we need to remember. And Lord willing, God's stirring in my heart some things to record for the remnant believer. And this will be one of them. We'll get into this a little bit more. But Joseph is now alone in Egypt in terms of no family connection, no connection to any form of scripture, which we don't know that there was scripture at that time. I'm sure they had kept writings of genealogies, writings and recordings of various things, but they weren't officially the law, for instance, at that time. They weren't officially what would be considered necessarily scripture at that time. So he had nothing. He had nothing except the foundation of the relationship with God that he had developed prior to this time for God to even give him these dreams and show him and reveal to him what would come in the future. So he goes from the pit, then he goes to Egypt, and he gets falsely accused in Egypt. Notice that he would not violate God's moral law that was revealed even in his own conscience. He knew God and he knew right from wrong. And he would not violate it even when he was alone in Egypt as far as no Christian or Jewish influence in him to help keep him on the right path. He had a relationship with God himself, and he would not violate that. So he gets falsely accused, thrown into prison, all the while, though, being faithful and being honored by God and in training. You'll read in Genesis 37 through 50 how it speaks about how God blessed him even in prison, and God favored him, and God began to raise, raise him up as a leader. Why? God was in training. God was training him in the prison for what he would yet come to do, and he was being faithful. And God used all of these things to weave a beautiful tapestry in Joseph's life and use him. I want, I want you to see a couple of things with how God used Joseph so powerfully. The first place I want to read is in Psalm 105, verses 16 through 23. It says in verse 16, Moreover, he, meaning God, called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now, notice this. God has already, and when Joseph is 17 years old, and down in that pit, God is moving. God is at work. It, it doesn't seem like it, and you wouldn't think that this was the will of the Lord, but notice here what the scripture says. He, meaning God, sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house. 
the ruler of all his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. So we see here from the scripture that the whole time God was moving, God was at work in Joseph's life. And I want to point this out before I read this other scripture, because it will lead us to the final scripture on Joseph that I want us to see. I think with Joseph, he is an excellent biblical example of how sometimes it's not about us at all, but it's about what God intends for somebody else. I want to share with you just a brief example from my own life. When I was in college several years ago, I remember there was a class that I took with a particular instructor in that class, and this lady was extremely bitter. She was pretty much hated by most all of the school. She was very harsh. She allowed, she had no mercy toward any student for any fault at all. Um, she was very demanding, extremely demanding, to the point that she was pretty mean. And I remember praying, God, get me out of this class. And I tried to get out of the class. I tried to withdraw. I tried to talk to the school, et cetera, et cetera. But God would not allow me out of that class. And I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, what's going on here? Why can't I get out of this class? You see what she's like and you see how evil this is and blah, blah, blah. And I'm talking to the Lord. And the Lord told me, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, Kay, it's not about you. It's about her. God had put me in that class to minister to her. And so as soon as the Spirit of the Lord revealed that to me, I began to pray for her and I began to see her differently because then I saw her as a hurt person, someone bound in problems that God wanted to set her free from because God loved her. And so he took a nobody, just one of his children, nobody special, I'm nobody special, but God took me and put me there so that I would be able to speak to her. It ends up that she had an accident during that season. And, you know, I was one of the ones that, that ministered to her and that was able to help her. I visited her in, in the hospital and was able to share the gospel with her in, in a form at, after that time. And so the Lord used me in that instant. Now, I don't know what all God did for her after that, but I do know I've seen her since then. She remembered me and she thanked me. It was a special thing to her. Not that I did anything. I tried to get out of it. I didn't want it because it was a situation that was in the will of God, but it sure wasn't what I wanted. But God used it anyway. So sometimes it's not about us. Sometimes it's about what God is doing for others. And I share that because I want you to see this directly from the scripture about Joseph. And I want to read Exodus chapter 50, verses 15 through 20. Jacob has died now and they've buried their father. And it says in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. 
So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when he spoke to them. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Verse 19 and 20. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? In other words, am I the one who can judge you or condemn you? Notice verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Do you see? The whole time, God was weaving a beautiful tapestry because God's purpose was to use Joseph to save many people alive. It wasn't about Joseph. It was about the people God wanted to use and to touch through Joseph. So sometimes we need to remember that, and Joseph is a good example. All things God will work together for our good. To those who love God and are the called according to his purpose, born-again believers in Jesus Christ, who have been justified by faith alone. It's interesting. I want to close with just these final thoughts about tapestry-making. I'm not a seamstress, I'm not an artist, I'm not a craftsperson, so I don't know this by direct hands-on experience, but I did a little research, and I found out that tapestry making from an online source that I looked at, they had an article that I was, uh, that I enjoyed there that showed me some of the basics about tapestry and explained it. And they said in there, a tapestry is made by weaving wefts or horizontal threads with warps, which are vertical threads. The wefts are a collection of lots of separate pieces of wool or silk threads. Notice they said wool or silk threads. I can see some application in both of those. Wool might represent things that are hot, things that are rough, things that are tough, while silk might represent more of the smooth beauty, the fine things, the things that are easier, prettier, etc. All those become a part of our life. All of those are things from our life, so to speak. And so the way it's made is it's made through repeatedly weaving those wefts and warps together and then tamping them or squishing them down very close together to the point that it will hide the warps from view. I'm going to read you one quick quote from that website. The author said this, Although you cannot see them in a finished tapestry, the vertical warp threads are vital components of each piece. 
They are the backbone of every tapestry and provide the support for the weft threads. God will allow no waste in our lives, in your life, nor in mine. No matter how ugly or bad the experience was, no matter how ugly or bad whatever the situation was, God is the beautiful tapestry maker. God is the beautiful tapestry weaver, and he knows just how, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, to make all things beautiful in his time. God had a time in David's life when he made all things beautiful. God had a time in Moses' life when he made all things beautiful. God had a time in Joseph's life when he made all things beautiful. And God has a time in your life and in mine when he makes all things beautiful to those people who are born again of the Spirit of the living God, love him, and are the called according to his purpose. Praise be to God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.